Welcome back to the Reconnected Connected Podcast. Have you ever heard people say this to you? Maybe at some point in your life, maybe often, maybe from time to time. Things like, be here now. Let it flow. Go with the flow. Slow down. Take your time. Take one step at a time. Be where you are. Trust the process. See what's in front of you. Stop and smell the roses for once. How about this quote from Ferris Bueller? Life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. And how about this quote from Emily Dickinson? Forever is full of nows. What a beautiful saying. So what's the theme of all these sayings and all these quotes? What's the theme of them? I would say it's about finding and feeling presence. Yeah, it is. It's about presence. And that's what this episode is going to be about today. It's about being present. We're going to try to be present throughout the entire episode as much as we could. <laughs> and today we're going to identify all the benefits of being present. We're not just going to talk about the research studies, but mostly we're going to talk about the practical ways in which being present could be incorporated into your everyday life. And we do want to let you as listeners know that, um, as you may already know, that being present is not a new idea. You know, this uh, is embedded in a lot of philosophies about life that have existed for centuries. So uh, we want to pay respects to where these ideas came from. But um, this episode really is going to be about the practical nature of allowing presence to be part of your life as it relates to all the topics that we talk about on this podcast, ranging from learning, mental health, relationships, performance and happiness and so forth. And for simplicity's sake, just to kind of give context around, you know, what we're talking about when we say presence. When we say be present, we're really referring to essentially slowing your mind down and attending to what is happening in the here and now, specifically in a way where you're just open to and accepting of whatever it is that you notice. And that could be tuning into what's going on within you emotionally, what you're thinking, what you're feeling, what your body feels like, or what's going on around you. But it's all what's happening in the present moment, not in the future and not in the past. And to me, really being more present is an attitude. We'll talk more about that kind of as an attitude, as a way of life. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be a meditation practice, although that can certainly help. Um, so we're going to talk about the practical nature of it. And Alexis, we'll get into a little bit more of the technicalities of it. And so if you're listening, find a way to settle in, find your presence, and immerse yourself in the moment as we discuss this topic. And perhaps limiting distractions around you, go for a walk. Get comfortable on your couch or on your bed. Whatever helps you to be present and to tune in as you're listening, uh, give it a shot. And find your focus and find your peace knowing that you are here now. Great introduction, Jer. And for the listeners to know, we had a little back and forth because that list of phrases and sayings that we hear so often and maybe we see on, you know, the the token sign in somebody's house or in a classroom or office reminding us to be present, sometimes it could sound a little bit uh, condescending or a little bit impatient. And the intention of the sayings is the exact opposite of that. But why does it feel like something that could be so averse to us? Just being mm, present, just yeah. being here. We talk a lot about how breathing and being present and just showing up seems to be something that's so easy to do. But why do these phrases elicit this like cringy feeling for a lot of us? <laughs> I'm going to give a very meta answer to that. I think it's because we have to be present to allow the feedback that we're not being present. <laughs> Otherwise, we're going to be defensive, like it's a correction or yeah. criticism. Yeah, it's so true. And, you know, to pull the pull the curtain back a little bit on our conversations before we got started, I was sharing with you that a lot of the clients I work with might feel, you know, really averse to hearing those phrases because they hear it so often, whether they're at work or they're in the classroom and it's like, 
be more focused, be more present, yeah. or where'd your mind go? Yeah, and yeah. it's really great to be curious and ask those questions. But when you only hear that all the time, yeah. it almost does the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> it makes you not want to be present and not hear anything else that's being said. All right. So um, all of Alexis's clients that are listening right now, I'm going to validate you. <laughs> It's not always adaptive to always be present. So good for you if you're not always present sometimes. I mean, it's not like you're a bad person for not being present, right? It's actually, you know, adaptive to not always be present. If you're only focusing on what's in front of you all the time, you're not thinking ahead. You're not planning. And uh, we've talked about this on other episodes that as human beings, we're built uh, more than other species to have the ability to project into the future and to think about the past. And maybe we have that ability for a reason and we should use it, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So like your dog Rafa, who's always in the present, come on, play with me, play with me, or like, I'm hungry, give me this, give me that, right? It's not always adaptive to always be present, um, but you know, we have to plan, think ahead, be strategic, learn from the past. Um, also reminisce on the past, you know, imagine a better future for ourselves, all those things. So let's just give some context and some validation that it's okay to not always, you know, think about uh, the present. And for you warriors, it's actually adaptive to worry sometimes. But we also have to be in check when it's, you know, helpful to bring ourselves back into the moment. Everything's about balance. And one of the coolest things that I always say is so important to me in my job is that all of these skills, right? Being present, having awareness, having focus, like these are skills that can be developed. You know, if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, I just can't be present. It's very difficult for me. My mind is full of all of this information, these worries, these lists, these things I have to do. It makes it difficult to be in this moment here and now because all of this extra noise is actually getting in my way. I want us to remember that there are things we can do to improve this state. And I'm glad you brought up Rafa because he's currently in training to be a therapy dog, right? Because he has such therapeutic benefits just in who he is. He, I joke that his biggest difficulty is that he jumps up and gives hugs, which is the therapeutic benefit of him. But I was in a training session this week and the trainer reminded me that he needs to do attention focus. And in my head, I'm cracking up and because I'm like, this is what I do for work. <laughs> I help people to tune in to what's happening, to build awareness, to build attention and focus. And ultimately to be present, we need to be open to this awareness and harness some of our focus mm. as we're navigating through our days. And in our worlds, in our lives, in our minds, there's so many different motivating factors that bring our attention to different areas and aspects of our lives, whether they're internal to our thinking, to our planning, to our cognitive processes that sometimes can go awry. And we'll talk about this soon, but also to the environmental and social factors that are constantly pulling at our attention Mm -hmm. that sometimes can get us away from the present moment. So, you know, as we listen through this episode and we we go through this discussion together, Jer, I, I want the listeners to think about what feels workable in your life? Because we're going to offer a lot of suggestions. We're going to provide a lot of psychoeducation, though, as you said in the introduction, you know, a lot of these concepts and ideas that we talk about are not new. Mm-hmm. You know, in my own meditation and spiritual work that I do for myself, you know, there are centuries of knowledge and wisdom that are passed on both through religion and philosophy that I think all come together in the psychological practicalities and protocols that we use in our present day, especially in the United States, that are super helpful in allowing for us to be more present. So I want us to be mindful that there is a ton of information that leads to us showing up in this conversation, both philosophically, spiritually, psychologically, and you know through empirical evidence and research base, One of the things that I love about all the neuroscience research that's happening right now is that a lot of amazing scientists and researchers are saying, we know so much is helpful in, you know, being able to sit and be mindful, be present. If meditation is your thing, let's actually do the research to have some empirical evidence to prove why that's happening. So there's so much of that in the background that is fueling this conversation and discussion, but for the purposes of this episode today, we're not going to go into the specificity of it because we want this to feel accessible and we want you to feel like 
there's something that you can do to help yourself be more present in the moment. Uh, definitely. So let's real quick, just do a quick review of the research. Um, this is not doing the research justice. And there's plenty of other podcasts that will just go into hours and hours long about the research. Um, but that's not what this podcast is about. But real quick, you know, I looked at our literature review that was done uh, in 2021. That's just basically like all the interventions that have been studied. Um, and this was done in the British uh, Medical Bulletin of just like all, you know, all the studies that have been done around mindfulness training and what, what the benefits could be. And so the effects are that there's improvements in things like depression, anxiety, stress, insomnia, addiction, psychosis, pain, hypertension, weight loss, cancer-related symptoms, being more pro-social uh, towards other people, more positive towards other people. Um, and there's a lot of, you know, more research coming out. I'm sure there's going to be more benefits, but let's just like throw that out there. There's the research. It's a very simplistic version of it. There's more nuances to it. Of course, it's not, you know, it's not also not going to help everybody. There's some people who say, you know, sometimes being mindful can have the opposite effect. There's different nuances to it as well. And there's a reason why this shows up in so many psychological protocols, right, Jerry? You know, even in, in CBT, thinking about your own thinking, reflecting, being more meta, uh, in DBT, integrating these skills for mindfulness practice and training, in acceptance and commitment therapy, there's a huge mindfulness factor in there too, to build in meditation and more mindful awareness training mm -hmm. to be in tune with both our thoughts and our our somatic experiences. There's so much of this that shows up in the psychological form. And I will say that, you know, in my training and putting all of this together, one of the most helpful things I've heard was from my meditation teacher, uh, Fez, who I got to give so much credit to, who helps me just like process through all of these thoughts and bringing all these pieces together. And, you know, I said, you know, Fez, there's so much out there in the psychological world that talks about mindfulness and meditation and presence, but it's nothing new. And Fez said to me, you know, Alexis, in our society, in this world, there's only so much information that we can process and bring together. And not everybody's going to be open to the philosophical, the spiritual or the religiosity side of it. So sometimes we need to put it in perspective and thinking about it in psychological terms, in practical terms is more helpful in this day and age for people to utilize this. And if they take anything away from it, that's helpful for them. That's actually the work. That's actually the importance of it. So in this conversation, he needed to get that out of the way because we're not going to dig deep into it. We really want to talk about some ideas and some reasons why this is helpful so that you can pick and choose what you try out. Definitely. I, nice, nice response, Fez. Uh. <laughs> All right. So let's jump in. Let's talk about some ways that being present could be um, beneficial to different aspects of your life. So I, I do think that being mindful and present helps you to have experiences with people um, in the moment and shared experiences. And I think a lot of relationships are built around shared experiences, you know, where you can um, experience something together and then later in life be like, oh, remember when that happened together? Mm -hmm. But to have shared experiences, you know, you really got to be present to notice when they're happening. Mm. And it doesn't have to be some grand thing. Like you're at this big party and like, it's, you know, crazy and everyone's like, you know, like super highly stimulated or, or whatever, you know, it could be something so simple. And, and to me, those are the, the greatest moments. Can I share one of my favorite things about graduate school? So the listeners might not know this, but somehow Jerry and I, we did our undergraduate training across the country, two different places. And we came back together in Boston for graduate school serendipitously. It wasn't part of our plan, but apparently it was part of a plan. Um, and graduate school, for those of you who know, is pretty expensive. And those of you who work through it and get through it, you know, you got to just be scrappy. So Jerry and I would figure out with our friends some places where we can get a good meal without overextending ourselves. And in these moments and in these meals, Jerry had the best line, I think, ever. I don't remember that. Oh my gosh. Yes, you will in a second. <laughs> the best line ever. And he would, if you would eat something that tasted so good. Oh, I remember. <laughs> he would say, guys, you got to just close your eyes and take a bite and try this. And we ultimately heard that whole experience of like shutting off some of your senses to just be noticing the sensation and the taste of the food that you're eating and just appreciating that one thing. And maybe it was because we were in grad school and, you know, scrapping it together to make it work. 
But when you appreciate something that tastes so good and you shut off other senses to just appreciate it, it's such an amazingly mindful experience. So from now on, anytime something tastes so good, we're always like, oh, it's an eye closer. You've got to experience it this way. <laughs> that was the quote. Yeah, I, an eye closer. <laughs> <laughs> so good. <laughs> yeah, I love that. So, you know, you got, and everybody here listening is going to be in a different context, a different place, a different space, different circumstances. So, you know, being present, sometimes you got to go out of your way to experience something, change your context to be mm. more present, whether that's through nature, go through, you know, take a walk through the woods. If you live near the woods, if you live near the ocean or a body of water, you know, like we said in other episodes, you got to change your context if you're not feeling great. Mm -hmm. And part of that is go somewhere else where you can be more present. Maybe you're in your room all day and you don't get the chance to be present because it's just, you know, it's, uh, you're just kind of numb, right? And you got to like get out into the world somewhere and, and find your own way to do that. It could be anything, right? Many ways to do it. Um, so let's talk about relationships in, rela in relationships in relation to being present. Mm -hmm. So, you know, how many times have you had a conversation with someone and let's compare and contrast and it's not a dichotomous thing. And by the way, everybody does this. So, you know, don't take offense to it, but when you're talking to someone and you feel like the other person is just really trying to figure out what they're going to say or, or steer the conversation somewhere that they perhaps wanted to go. And, and again, there's many reasons why people do that. It's not like, you know, they're like a self-absorbed person or something like there's many ways people could be anxious. Right. And they're mm -hmm. like, or they don't know what to talk about or, it's hard to go with the flow in a conversation. So, you know, they kind of talk about what they know, what they're comfortable with. Yeah. Or they're, or they're trying to, you know, prove themselves that they are worthy of the conversation, that they have something important or valuable to share. Yes. Right. So many different factors in the background that might be happening. Yes. There's a lot of dynamics and that's why, you know, part of becoming more present is recognizing your own dynamics that are happening in a situation that are behind the scenes exactly right right if you feel like you have some insecurities that you're dealing with try to grapple with those right and and kind of uh open yourself up to a new perspective on how to relate with people i'll give you a quick example you know working with people with social anxiety and the, you know a lot of times when you have social anxiety you're you're, you're anything but present mm -hmm. because a lot of times you're focusing on yourself so much and when we dig into that in our therapy sessions you know, the people say like, I don't want to be thinking about myself so much. I want to be thinking about the other person. And, you know, we talk about, you know, what's motivating them to be, you know, self-protective and worrying about, you know, how they're being judged perhaps or being perceived and how they feel badly about themselves or like, I'm not good enough or they're not going to like me because of this reason. And, and, and so when you actually move into an evolution of thought and it's really eye-opening, I think, people to change the context to say, well, what is a relationship built upon? And a relationship, which is, you know, what interactions could be about, it doesn't have to just be about getting through the interaction just to get through it. It could be about the relationship with that person. And a relationship is built upon, in my opinion, being present with them, caring about them, being open about them, listening to them and, uh, and showing interest and, and so forth. And so, you know, that paradigm shift helps the person to be more present where they don't have to think to themselves, oh, like, you know, I'm worse than them. I'm inferior. Like that whole paradigm is, is off the table. And you, you challenge those beliefs, first of all, and mm -hmm. realize that, you know, people are just different. It doesn't make them better than you. People are different and we can appreciate differences. And, you know, you wouldn't want other people thinking to themselves what you think about yourself. So don't have that double standard. Mm. And so, um, and, and then by doing so, you change the paradigm to say, hey, I just want to be present. That's what a relationship is built upon. Let me prioritize the relationship and being present over all these, you know, self-protective mechanisms we have about being anxious around people because of your fear of being judged and so forth. So I'm going to kind of highlight and prioritize some of the things that you just said, because there's so much in there. And when I have conversations with parents, caregivers and educators, you know, bosses, people who are working with others who are trying to figure out and understand what gets in the way of people being present, whether mm. they're at school or at work or at home. And a lot of this, of course, is related to attention and attentional difficulties. But, you know, there's also a big executive function component 
that I often explain. So the psychoeducation around this is the fact that sometimes it's hard to be present and hold on to information mm. in a conversation, especially mm-hmm. in your working memory to be able to use it and respond in some way. True. And oftentimes when you know, a flow of information is coming at somebody, mm-hmm. it can actually cause a lot of disorganization mm-hmm. in their in an individual's mind who might be struggling with executive function to be able to prioritize, okay, what what information is important to me? What information are they sharing that's important to them? Mm-hmm. How do I want to construct my response? Mm-hmm. And sometimes people are in their own minds. It might not just be that they're worrying about their relationship, which definitely could be a factor, but they might also be trying to just like sift through the information that's coming from the person they're talking with. Mm -hmm. And if it's in a bigger group, you know, reading the nonverbal cues from other people, understanding the environmental stimuli that's coming in from, you know, the window, what's happening outside, the noise that the air conditioner or the heater is making, or, you know, the lights being a little overwhelming. There's like so many stimuli and yeah. so, much, so much information that's coming in in any given moment that can impact our ability to be present, especially in a conversation. Okay, that's a great point. So let me use a metaphor or an analogy to, um, to respond to that. So it's so true, right? When you like a conversation, first of all, there's no structure to it. <laughs> You have, no, you have no idea where to go with it. Wait, wait, you mean there's not an outline that says like, first we're going to talk about this and then we're going to talk about that. Right, no. Um, and, um, you and know. Sequencing is hard. And sometimes people do need to have a, like to create a little bit of structure in their mind. To, mm. to, but but a lot of times what I find, especially with people's social anxiety is they actually don't trust themselves. Mm. And you're so right. It's, it, you know, you to make all these decisions and stuff. But at the end of the day, Kind of like an athlete who knows how to shoot the basketball, who knows how to make the pass when the pass is there. Yes. Or or any other sport for whatever they're doing, right? When you do it enough, you can do it. And and so much of sports psychology is trusting it and not overthinking it because the anxiety itself can make you more, even, even more uh, jumbled up in your brain and doubting yourself. That prevents you from doing the very thing that you're actually capable of. So, so my response to that is a lot of times you got to learn how to trust yourself and relieve yourself of all that anxiety that it's got to be the right thing, the right thing, or doubting yourself that you can do it or that it's going to come across the right way. And that allows you to be present. Yeah. And, and by the way, there's tons of research now and, and, and the field of sports psychology has really moved into helping athletes to be more present, which actually does help their performance. Mm-hmm. So I think that really proves the analogy, right? When you trust yourself. You're able to be present and you're able to allow yourself to do what you can actually do rather than overthink it or doubt it. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'm, I talked to you about this a little bit, but a little sneak peek on some of the work I'm doing behind the scenes is, you know, I work a lot with people who have these perfectionistic tendencies where they are kind of overthinking and over planning sometimes which gets in the way of them being present to just perform and do what they need to do. Mm-hmm. Whether they're practicing an instrument or they're practicing a sport or they're practicing their academic skills, whether it's mm-hmm. reading or writing or whatever it might be, mm-hmm. um, that oftentimes they're getting in the way of their own work, of their own things that they're trying to do mm-hmm. and the things that bring them joy, which interferes with their experience. Um, so a lot of the work that I'm trying to flesh out is helping people understand that. And this came up the other day. I hope my uh, client hears this because it came up the other day in a conversation with somebody I'm working with that, you know, oftentimes we try to achieve mastery, mm. but that's not usually the destination, mm-hmm. right? Sometimes it's about the practice. It's about the improvement. And one of the things that I reminded them of is that the first thing you try something is probably going to be the hardest that'll ever be Mm. because the next time you try it, if you're willing to go back to that challenge or that thing that taxed you in a way that didn't feel comfortable, Mm. it's never going to feel that hard because you already have the experience of trying it once. Mm. You know what it's like. You have more expectations. You have more expectations. We talked about this with Marissa and thinking about, 
you know, children predicting what's happening. They don't have as many data points. Yeah. But once you start to accrue those data points, it leads you to this level of feeling more comfortable. You can troubleshoot easily, more right. easily. Yeah. So one of the things I'm working on is actually changing the language that we describe when we're working towards anything. And I know it sounds silly, but when we're working towards being present, yeah, it's like, how comfortable are you in this moment? Yeah, yeah. And what do we have control over to actually give us that sense of comfort and ease? And when you made the, uh, at the end of the metaphor about the athlete showing up, when you are practiced and you have the skills mm-hmm. and you trust in yourself, you show up more comfortable to yeah. be able to perform. And I just, um, I was listening to a, a little bit of an inver- uh, an interview with um, Lex Friedman and the, this musician, I can't remember her name, but I'm going to post it on my social media because it was such a profound conversation mm. where she was a very young girl playing the bass with one of the best, Jeff Beck, one of the best guitar players ever. Mm. And, you know, he asked her, were you nervous? Mm. And in her response, she said, no, you know what? I had my skills. And if I were to show up on stage feeling nervous, feeling overwhelmed, feeling scared, I wouldn't be able to produce the thing that I've been practicing so much to do. Mm. Right? So when you think about that athletic performance side of things, this shows up every day. This Mm -hmm. is not just in these high stakes situations where you're playing with the best guitarist ever, or you are showing up to take a foul shot in a big game to be able to push your team forward. This shows up every single day. If a kid's in a classroom and is asked to read out loud, Mm -hmm. if you you are in a conversation with somebody you care a lot about mm-hmm. and you want to be able to share something that's meaningful and important to expand your relationship. Mm-hmm. If you are at work and you're, you know, giving a presentation to share what you've been doing and share the progress and the updates on whatever you've been doing, this shows up all the time in our lives. Mm-hmm. And to be able to work on that is to be aware in the present of what these mechanisms are that are either helping you to feel more comfortable in a moment Mm -hmm. or impeding that. Mm -hmm. So this whole conversation is not just about like, oh yeah, like you said at the beginning, you know, be present, just pay more attention, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. just do the thing because there's so many factors and it's so nuanced. But, But the point of us having this discussion on the podcast is to hopefully inspire folks to just take a pause and just like check in. You know, one of my greatest strategies that I share with clients of all ages and the people around them in their lives, it's like, sometimes we need to just press pause and check in. Yeah. You know, there's one of my clients laughs, you know, that, that old song that goes, check yourself before you wreck yourself. That's literally what they say in their heads. Cause it works for them. Yeah. It's like, can you check yourself before you wreck yourself? It's like literally, <laughs> <laughs> but that interferes with us being present. I love that. Okay. Um, so let me, let me pull apart some pieces of what you just said. Number one, <laughs> let me summarize. Uh, number one, uh, use my working memory skills right now. Here we go. Number one, um, the first step is the hardest. But once you take that first step, you can get used to a situation and know what to expect a little bit more. And by doing so, you can begin to troubleshoot. And that's all normal if you can accept that there's going to be growing pains. Okay, I'm going to extend it a little further and Thank before you. we move on to the second point. So, so even with decision making... It helps to be present in the steps of the decision making. So mm-hmm. I was talking, you know, I talked to my patients about this. When you have a big decision that has to happen in like six months from now or a year from now or years from now, you can feel like, oh, I got to make the decision now. I'm so anxious and stressed and panicked about making, about making the decision. And what I suggest is, well, yeah, you probably are anxious for a reason because you're putting yourself into the future in a place where you're not supposed to be yet. Mm. you're not ready to make that decision. And when you will be ready, it'll be much easier because you will be ready for that decision for a lot of reasons, because you had experience and steps that got you ready to make the decision. It's very growth mindset of you. Yeah. But it's also just, you know, more uh, realistic about how your anxiety works, right? Totally. You're putting yourself in the future where you shouldn't be. And, and that's a good thing. It's, I'm like, you know, I'm glad you're anxious when you think about having to be somewhere in the future that you're not supposed to be at. Your anxiety is telling you something. Pay attention to it. Don't try to get rid of or numb that anxiety. Pay attention to what it's telling you. It's telling you you're not ready to be in the future yet. You got to take those steps. And with decision making, it might be get more information 
Mm-hmm. And, and maybe you don't need that huge piece of information. You got to start small. Let me get a little bit of information about this. And that'll take me into another direction. I had, you know, somebody reach out to me and I love when people do this. And she's like, you know, I'm thinking about getting into the psychology field. You know, I graduated college and, and can I just spend some time you know, chatting with you? I'm like, yes. Like mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I wish that more people did that for me when I was younger, or maybe if I had the courage to do that with more professionals in the field. And we had like a 30 minute conversation. I'm like, and she said, thank you so much. I'm like, well, you know, how can I not do this for someone who wants to get into our field, who cares about our field? Mm. You know, I love that you're asking questions and you're asking other people questions to learn because it's like, you don't know what you don't know. Mm -hmm. Of course, you're going to be anxious if you don't know what you don't know. Mm. And so you got to take that first step to get a little bit of information and then you build on it and then you build on it. Then you know what you need. You don't know what you need until you get more information. So it's all process. You got to stay with the process. Often we're just not there yet. And that's no, okay. Totally. Yeah. And, a- and athletes got to remember that too. I work with so many athletes that are so competitive mm-hmm. and so goal oriented. And a lot of times they're anxious because they're putting themselves into some future, even with injuries, you know, overcoming injuries and rehabbing from injuries and healing from injuries, you know, the, or, or being able to play at a high level again after their injury. You know, you're, and I'm like, you're going to be anxious if mm-hmm. you project yourself into a future that you're not supposed to be in yet. Yeah. And that, that anxiety, the worries that come up is actually really important information that can ground you in the presence because it's like, okay, all of these things are coming up and possible, but where are we right now? Mm-hmm. How do we get back to right here and right now? Definitely. And so, okay, so you're summarizing. Number one is take the first step. It's going to be the most challenging, mm-hmm. but we could set ourselves up by manipulating the environment, having access to resources, and building some confidence outside of ourselves or within ourselves to just try. Definitely, yep. Yeah. Um, and, and for the listener, this is not scripted right here. And, and I'm <laughs> literally like, just as she was talking, I'm thinking to myself, all right, don't panic. I really want to remember that second point. <laughs> and because I didn't panic, I was able to remember it. Okay, second point that I wanted to make that pulled in from what you had said earlier is I think as you get older and as you get more experience, um, when it comes to performance and even just navigating your life, I think the reason you become a little bit less anxious as you get older is not necessarily that you think more things or new things, which definitely helps. We want to expand our thought process and and, and op- be open to new perspectives. I think that helps. And be creative. And be creative. But um, what I, what my point here is that I think we actually think less about certain things. And that helps us to be less anxious and more in the moment. Mm. Let me give an example. So like, let's take, you know, some of the athletes I work with or just, you know, people in general who have social anxiety, um, which, you know, as we talked about, the anxiety prevents you from being present. And being present is, you know, kind of what we're, we're, we're hoping for. Some of the things that they may think less about are things like, well, you know, I used to really always think about the future so much. Like, what are the implications of winning this game or making this shot or, um, you know, winning this tournament? And, and as they got older and they did the work, you know, in our sessions, it's like, I don't think that anymore. Mm. So it's not that they're doing more. They're actually doing less of these extra things that are unnecessary. And I have a second point as you comment afterwards. <laughs> so this is this is an example of being distracted in the moment because you and I are very present right here and right now. But as you're saying things, it's stimulating so many thoughts that are important to me and connected to what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. But you're aware of those thoughts and <laughs> that I'm is being present. Them, right. Yeah. So I'm going to articulate some of that so the listener can be validated too. Yeah. So I think I don't know if it's that we think about things less. I think that we have that procedural knowledge through experience of practice, right? When you learn something new, there's so many pieces of getting to feeling comfortable doing it, right? Whether you are an athlete and you're learning technical skills, right? Sometimes you have to get really fine-tuned on the technicality Mm. before you can put it together and perform, that's same, a good point. same with an instrument, right? Like you have to learn the scales and the chords before you can really play a song. And just play and just, And know. just play and like yeah, make yeah. things up. You know, there's a lot of technicality and logistical procedural the knowledge. Foundation, yeah. The foundations that need to be set. And I think as we get older, if we've, you know, tested out a lot of different types of things or we've had different experiences, we don't think as much about the logistical 
aspects of it. You know, mm. I, you know the same thing with like tying a shoe, right? When you're a little kid, you're thinking, oh, I got to make the loop and the swoop and, you know, all the things to make the bow to tie your mm. shoe. Mm-hmm. But when you're older, you don't think about it. You just do it. Yeah. So I think maybe that's where, you know, as we get older, we free up space in our mind. And I know there actually is research on this that I'm not familiar with, but, mm. um, you know, we free up parts of our mind to be able to do different things and focus differently. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so let me summarize what you just said. Then. Um, <laughs> okay. So um, part of being more present, um, as you were saying, is that you actually gain skills and a foundation of knowledge and and capabilities that helps you to not have to think so much about the details and the technicalities, which is very true, yeah. right? It's kind of like you, you're an athlete, you're learning, you know, how, how the plays work. The more familiar you are with the plays that you're uh, going to perform, the more familiar and the more rehearsed they are, the more you don't have to think so much about it consciously. It's more unconscious so that you can free your mind to being present. That's why rehearsal is so important. That's why repetition is so important. I agree with that. Um, I'm going to say it's also true, as I was saying, that we start to think less about other things that are irrelevant and unhelpful. Mm. And those are really kind of like worries. And some of the worries that we talked about are like, you know, what are other people thinking about me? How are they judging me? Or what's going to happen in the future? Or, you know, thinking about something that's irrelevant, like a relationship issue that's happening with somebody else while you're talking to someone who has nothing to do with that. You know, you're just distracted by things that are not happening in the moment. And, you know, I think part of being more present is learning what are these things that would go through our head that are irrelevant to either, you know, being present or being present with our performance or with what we're doing or with our experiences. And so, you know, that's why part of mindfulness training is kind of being aware, like, okay, what kind of thought is that? That's like, you know, that's a thought about the past. Let me kind of categorize that, let that pass, you know, so I don't have to focus on it. So, so much of mindfulness training is labeling kind of what's going through our mind that's not really, you know, important to the present and just allowing it to notice it and letting it pass. And this comes from the CBT world is in terms of therapy, you know, people who worry a lot, chronic worriers, the challenge that they often face with therapy is that they feel like they have to worry about everything, Mm. that it's actually served their life very well, that it's helped them. And they're not wrong. You know, worrying is actually very helpful and adaptive. So certain things, you know, you don't want to just judge somebody's worries and say, stop worrying so much, just be present. Certain worries actually are useful. It's helpful. It's adaptive to, you know, think critically and plan and make judgments about certain things to to help you. At the same time, it's not always helpful. And if you're going to be honest with yourself, you're going to realize that. So part of being more mindful if you're a worrier is to accept you know, certain things that you can't control and that you don't need to control. Um, and so that you're not overdoing the worry. You know, it's very easy to overdo things that seem like they're good, but when you push it too far, it's not good anymore. It's not very helpful. And no good is a judgment, but just in general, it's not very helpful to be present if you're always worrying all the time. So a lot of, you know, being mindful and present is is submitting, is being vulnerable enough to uh, accept that what you're doing is not helping you be more present and accepting that and to say, okay, I'm going to try. And that takes courage. It takes courage because worrying is, a, is an armor that we use. We use armor, um, you know, to feel better because people don't want to be anxious and they're afraid. You know, worrying is actually a way to, in some ways, prevent being anxious and vulnerable. But, you know, being present is actually being vulnerable and realizing almost like exposure therapy. Let me be present and realize that everything's okay. I didn't worry so much about this. And yet, look, here we are. Pay attention. Is anything bad happening? Mm. You know, you had a conversation with that person. You were present. You didn't worry the whole time. Anything bad happened? No, nothing bad really happened. And then little by little, you get more practice with it. Just like the athlete, you know, you stopped worrying so much about everybody else or the People watching you, you were just present. How'd you perform? And all the athletes tell me, I actually performed better. Mm-hmm. Anything bad happened that you stopped worrying so much about these things that don't really matter so much now that you've gained wisdom that they don't matter as much? Uh, you don't need to worry. And they're like, yeah, it's freeing. Mm-hmm. You know, but you always got to come back to it because, you know, we're all human. We're always going to be pulled into another distraction, another worry that's going to take us away from being present. And sometimes that's going to be useful and sometimes it's not, you know, um, but that's the way the human mind is. You know, it's not like we can always be present. Um, it's going to be hard to do that. You know, even when you become the best of the best of the best, there's going to be something else you're going to worry about. It's going to take you away from being present. 
Well, I think that's such an important point. And I'm so glad that you and I get to have this conversation because we're kind of coming at this from our own fields and <laughs> wealth of expertise. And it's a little bit different in that, you know, when, when you bring up all these mentions of worrying, getting in the way of us being present, it's, it's really important for us to pay attention to. Because in the, our fast-paced, frenetic world where we're constantly going, we can feel really overstimulated that being present can actually be really scary because so much comes up for us. And we talked about this a little bit with, um, with Dr. Wu on the sleep episode about how we don't give ourselves enough time to just like unwind mm -hmm. and just be. And she brought up some really great points about mind wandering and just like literally doing nothing you know, to allow for our brains to settle. And I want us all to just take a moment just to notice. I'm not going to walk you through a full meditation here, but I have to make this point that I want you to just take a moment and close your eyes and just take a few breaths. Don't think about it. Don't worry about it. Don't count the amount of time it takes to go with your inhale or your exhale. Just breathe with your eyes closed. And once you get settled, I want you to just notice how your body feels. See if you're carrying or holding any tension. See if your mind starts to race or you're feeling overstimulated. Just notice where you are right now. When you're ready, you can open your eyes if you want to press pause on the podcast episode and continue the practice of just being aware of your body and your mind. Go for it. There's some really amazing meditation recordings on different apps or YouTube that you can get for free. But just think about that that experience in that moment. Were, were you feeling overstimulated? Were you able to just be present with yourself and your breath in that one moment? Or was there something else going on? I don't think that we give ourselves enough time and patience just to be. Because we might be afraid of what comes up. Or it feels like a waste of time. Oh, great one. And I think this is what you were alluding to earlier, Lex. And that was really nice. It calmed me down. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, I think that we're conditioned to be productive or to feel like we have to always, yes. always, always be productive. Yeah. And, you know, you know, it's a, it's a trap that we can get into, you know, it certainly is a trap and it doesn't help, um, when the reality is we're allowed to give yourself permission. And this is why I think it's important to structure your life around being more present mm. so that we're not always reacting to things we're conditioned to do, like always be productive, always do this, always do that. And so structuring your life around being present is like what you said before, like, you know, schedule some time to go for a walk mm. or when you are going for a walk or doing your commute, do it in a way that feels a little bit better. Because by the way, commuting, especially in your car, I think research has said it's like the most unhappy time of your life, which I, you know, it's, it's sad to say that, but you know, part I actually of, like it. Yeah. Well, some people do, right. <laughs> Cause you change the, you change the, the experience. Yeah by being more present with it or finding a way to enjoy it more. So, yeah. um, but, you know, structure your life around it, you know, spend time with loved ones, you know, cook. That's why, you know, recently been thinking so much more when trying to get on, trying to get a, a chef to come on here to talk about the benefits of cooking because it does make you so present, but mm. like that's changing the context and structuring your life around. I'm going to do this because I like doing the act of cooking. It makes me present. Well, we'll talk about this in the future, but that's actually, I recommend all the time, whether it's an educator or a caregiver or just an adult, that they practice cooking because mm. there's so many executive function skills yeah. and attention needed to be able to do that well. And it's broken down for you in a recipe, right? right? You have to pay attention to time and amounts and resources and color and texture and all the things, which is so amazing. And you know, the end goal is you get to hopefully enjoy something that's tasty, delicious. Totally. And the irony is that, you know, our society is built around instantaneous gratification, right? Like order food out, get pick, get takeout or like just do microwavable foods and stuff. And it's almost like a never ending cycle. You know, mm -hmm. it's almost like you got to make more money, make more money, make it's never enough. It's never enough. 
Um, and certainly like not dismissing the importance of money. Like people need money to like live comfortably. It's enough a resource where you're not always to survive. hundred percent. But what I'm suggesting here is that when, you know, our lifestyle revolves around like everything's got to keep, keep moving. I need to be stimulated. I need like the new Instagram thing or this or that, or the new show, or I need to be watching something. I need to always be stimulated. It's a never ending cycle. And there is research that people's attention has gotten worse yeah. over the past 10 years, 15 years. Like there's, re, you know, there's people studying this. And the question is why? I think it's because it's just this, uh, you know, positive psychology calls it a hedonic uh, treadmill yeah. where you're just constantly trying to get more and more and more. It's never enough. I and mean, that's addiction. Unfortunately, it's never yeah. enough. And there's so many ways to get short bursts of dopamine that are not actually long lasting. There's a difference between getting dopamine by, you know, getting a like or sharing a like on social media versus doing something that's purposeful, mm -hmm. that's going to actually sustain you and, and build out that, that slower dopamine release that doesn't reinforce this, I need to do more and get more of something. So we need to think about how all of this plays a role in where our presence and attention gets hijacked. And we'll do more and talk more about attention specifically, but I want to bring it back to presence because I also want to remind the listeners that being present doesn't mean totally shutting off your brain and other things that are happening in the background. Mm -hmm. Like that actually causes more stress. Like, oh my gosh, am I being present? Like, <laughs> you know, so I want us to also acknowledge that we're going to bring with us into an experience or moment what we have experienced before. You know, we want to, acknowledge that you might get really excited about something and hold on to it, maybe miss something that somebody else says or be in a classroom and you're so excited to share your answer that you don't realize that, you know, the moment has passed and you blurt it out because there's some impulsivity there, right? There's all these different factors that can get in the way of being present that are actually not maladaptive. They're protective and positive in some ways, mm. right? So I want us to be mindful of that and to think about, you know, if you are going to take a mindful walk and try to be present outside in nature or in that experience, you know, sometimes you can put music on. When I was younger, you know, we had cassette players and CD, what are they called? CD burners? No. <laughs> no. What were those like? They weren't Walkman, but they were CDs, like a little CD player that you, oh, uh, like a Walkman. I forget. I can't remember the name of it. Uh, Anyways, but like, I always was like, so into music that I'm like, oh, I wish I had a soundtrack to my life, right? Yeah, yeah, and have yeah. music playing all the time. And there's there's something that helps ground you in the moment when that happens, but also it's a little bit of a distraction too. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know about you all who are listening, and Jerry, I think you agree with me that like when you're watching a TV show or a movie and there's a good soundtrack in the background, it actually makes the show or the movie like a little bit better for you because you're like, oh, that's at least a great song that matches the moment. This yeah, is awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, for me, I always thought I wanted a soundtrack to my life. And now as I'm trying to become more aware of where my attention goes, mm -hmm. that I'm noticing that when I have music playing or a podcast, when I'm going for a walk, Sometimes for me, that's helpful to ground me in the moment, mm -hmm. but sometimes it's more of a distraction. Yeah. So I want people to notice and recognize that like, you might need different things at different times mm -hmm. to ground yourself in the moment, in the present moment. And that's okay. I don't want you to go around thinking, oh, I have to tweak or change. Like there's, mm -hmm. there's this emphasis and I, I, I get a little bit uncomfortable with my role in this on social media or with the podcast or in my work, mm -hmm. that there's such an emphasis on people having to change. Yeah. But I don't want it to think about like, you have to change to be better. It's mm -hmm. like, no, mm -hmm. we're evolving as we learn more about ourselves. Yeah. And sometimes we might need different things at different times. And when it comes to being present in a moment, pay attention to that. Yeah, I love that, Lex. I mean, and in what you need might actually just be another person to be calm around you. And I got to tell you, like therapy is so useful because, uh -huh. you know, I try to bring a very calm demeanor and you do the same thing is like, it grounds people in the moment because, you know, people can just settle in and not feel like they, you know, they have to do or prove anything. It's like, just be yourself, mm -hmm. be yourself. Like my job is to help you to be yourself. And that is so grounding in the moment. And, um, you know, I think little stuff like that, like maybe what you need is to stop judging everything mm. and comparing yourself all the time. Like, oh, the person's life is better than mine. You know, me sitting here cooking a meal is not good enough because someone else has this or has that 
or this life, their life is so much better because of this. That's all taking you away from being present. Mm. And, and the irony is that you're making yourself miserable. Nobody else is doing that to you, but yourself, mm. you know? And so to be able to take ownership over that. And like we said before, notice the thoughts that are taking you away from being present. John Kabat-Zinn says, develop um, a relationship, become a friend to your mind, something mm. like that, where you start to realize like, oh, okay. And don't, don't get mad at yourself for thinking this way. Everybody does it. Just be like, okay, I don't, like I said before, I don't need to be thinking like that. Mm. I'm gonna have a new attitude. You know, mindfulness is an attitude to me. It's like, well, the things that pull me away from being present, my attitude towards that is, I don't need to worry about that. I'm not gonna compare myself. I love my life for what it is. I'm gonna to try to love my, myself and my life, you know, what I have, what's in front of me and, and to experience it. Cause only I can make myself present and happier by doing that. You know, nobody else can make me unhappy unless I make myself unhappy by pushing away the things that I can have. And look, there's nuance to this. I don't wanna dismiss people who have very terrible things happening in their life. And this is extremely hard to do, or maybe, you know, not the appropriate message for you, right? There's nuances to it, but you know, in general, when you can allow yourself to stop judging so much about why you shouldn't be in the situation you are in, that you allow yourself to be in this. And this even goes for things you may not want to do, like homework or a simple task or doing the laundry or doing this or having to pick your kids up or do that. Like maybe if you stop telling yourself, oh, this is horrible. I don't want to be doing this. Everybody else is having more fun than me or has a better life than me, right? When you allow yourself to dis, just let those thoughts pass, don't engage with them. Don't, what I call jump on the train, right? The, the metaphor I use with my patients is you got the T train, right? In the Boston, we got the T train, right? You're on the platform. You're waiting for the train to come. There's all different lines. There's the B line, there's the C line, there's the D line, there's the E line. That's the green line. They all go in different places, but they all, they all start in the same spot, right? So if you're in Copley Square and you're on the, the platform, maybe the beeline comes and you, you know, let's call that a train of thought as a metaphor. There's a beeline. This beeline has a whole train of thought about like how everybody else's life is better than yours. That huge train of thought is coming by. It stops, the doors open and you think to yourself, should I get on this train? Is this the right train for me? And if you don't actually take a moment, like you said, to stop and check yourself and say, wait, is this the right train for me? You're just going to jump on yeah. and you're on that train and that train is going mm -hmm. and you're not even thinking twice about it. And the whole day is going to be on that beeline thinking about all, you know, no, <laughs> sorry to, to use the beeline for Boston University, Boston College people. Oh, you're and, bringing me back to grad Brighton, school. Brighton, Austin, the people who live in those communities <laughs> that know. But they what know I, <laughs> how slow it can go. <laughs> how slow it can go, right? It forces you to be mindful uh, or frustrated. Uh, but, but what I'm saying is like, Use that as a metaphor. You're on the platform, the train's coming. Just ask yourself, is this the train of thought I want to get on? Or can I step back and say, what? oh, that's actually not my train. Let me let it pass. And then before you know, it's gone. And it's not even in your awareness anymore because it's just you, just you just let it pass. It's gone. And all of a sudden, the next train line comes. You're like, oh, this is my train line. This is where I can be present and accepting and appreciate what's happening in the here and now and find new meaning around it to allow myself to be present. So that's a metaphor you can use. You know, so much of mindfulness is metaphors and that's just one that, you know, kind of spontaneously came to me at some point and probably other people came up with very similar ones. So it's not not like taking all this credit for it, but it's an idea. I, I like that metaphor a lot and to connect it to my work as well, that even if you do get on the wrong line, it just might actually take you a different path. Mm. It might take you a little longer but you can still kind of get to where you're aiming for mm -hmm. and that's okay. Yeah. Life continues. So I want to bring it back to a couple of just, you know, we don't really like to boil things down to just one or two things you could do. But I think from what we've talked about before, it's paying attention to the stuff that gets in the way of you being present. And sometimes that takes just a moment to pause. I always say, can you just pause and take a breath, give yourself some space and room before you make a decision, before you go to the next thing. Because even that like one moment of mindfulness can transform your whole experience and potentially your day. Mm -hmm. And I, I recommend this a lot for educators, for parents and for adults too, that before you transition to something new, can you add in just like a moment of like a breath? 
it can take all of a few seconds, but doing that intentionally and paying attention to how do I feel when I just take that really deep breath to see how it feels in my body, how it resets my brain to be more available and open to whatever comes next. And ultimately it might activate your executive function skills to be able to take on greater challenges, to be able to perform differently, to be able to show up differently for whatever you're doing. So that's probably, if I were to boil it down to one thing that could be very helpful in any moment or experience to be more present and pay more attention, it's, it's just to take that moment and, and it comes with you for free wherever you go, mm-hmm. that you can pay attention to your breasts. But I want us to, to also recognize and acknowledge that presence is not always easy to achieve. It's hard to be with yourself and it's hard to be with others fully. There's so many different factors and stimuli that can impact us, but it also may help us to recognize the things that we don't feel comfortable with, the things we don't necessarily love or find helpful to be able to make adjustments as we need to, if we want to, if that's where we're at in our lives. And it helps us remember what we need. Yeah. Right. And and I'm sorry to interrupt you. We're just going to get into the end here, but just checking in, like, what do you need? Maybe you're hungry. (laughs) Maybe you're not paying attention to how your body feels. Yeah. And you're not actually eating or using the bathroom if you can use the bathroom or sleeping yeah. when your body is ready, as we talked about in the sleep episode with Dr. Wu. Um, sorry to interrupt you, but or even emotionally, what we're feeling. You're feeling lonely. Okay, maybe that need, means you need something. Yeah. Um, maybe you're feeling, you know, this or that. So that's why checking in with your feelings is actually adaptive and helpful. Yeah. And, and we'll talk more specifically about this too. But, you know, a lot of times in our society, we, we go to our cell phones, we go to our computers, our technology to quote unquote, like wind down and be present, but it actually oftentimes overstimulates us. So, you know, giving yourself that moment to say like, is this going to serve me well? Mm -hmm. What else do I need to be fully here? And is that actually the right thing for me to do right now? That's why pressing pause, taking a step back, you know, talking to a therapist, a friend, a trusted person in your life who's going to show up non-judgmentally also Mm -hmm. to be able to just like, slow it down a little bit and to notice what's coming up for you so you can show up and be more present in a moment. And, you know, a lot of it is is acceptance, acceptance of the fact that there's going to be times of discordance and disorganization and potentially chaos and really difficult struggles and suffering and other things that could get in our way that are just part of life. But we can accept that those things are going to happen, but we can also acknowledge, respect, and appreciate that we can show up in a moment and just be in it. Mm -hmm. And there's something really freeing and beautiful about that. The eye of the storm. And it's really nice for us to come together, to be present and have these conversations and also acknowledge our distractions or our tangents that we can go on because we are connected in this moment by sharing this information and and to talking through so many really important factors in life. And we hope that this conversation, we hope that these ideas that we're sharing here um, inspire you or remind you to maybe just take a moment, take a pause and to find a way that helps you to be more present and appreciate each moment in each day and the people and the things that we have the opportunity to interact with. So thanks, Jeff, for the conversation. Definitely more to come on this topic in Part the future. Part two, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I'll see you in the future, Lex. Okay, be well. <laughs> see you then. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to the Read Connected podcast. Please remember that this is a podcast intended to educate and share ideas, but it is not a substitute for professional care that may be beneficial to you at different points of your life. If you are in need of support, please contact your primary care physician, local hospital, educational institution, or support staff at your place of employment to seek out referrals for what may be most helpful for you. Ideas shared here have been shaped by many years of training, incredible mentors, research, theory, evidence-based practices, and our work with individuals over the years, but it's not intended to represent opinions of those we work with or who we are affiliated with. The Reconnected podcast is hosted by siblings Alexis Reed and Dr. Gerald Reed. Original music is written and recorded by Gerald Reed. Editing and recording was done by Cybersound Studios. If you want to follow along on this journey with us, the Reconnected podcast will be releasing new episodes every two weeks each season. So please subscribe for updates and notifications. 
Feel free to also follow us on Instagram at Read Connected Podcast. That's Read Connect Ed Podcast and Twitter at Read Connect Ed. We are grateful for you joining us and look forward to future episodes. In the meanwhile, be curious, be open, and be well. Mm-hmm.